Well, I too say good morning and welcome back, church family, wherever you've been to celebrate this past Thanksgiving week. I hope it was a refreshing time for you and your loved ones uh, together. As Connor shared in that litany of announcements this morning, he did so well, I would just reiterate two reminders for you as he had shared this morning. Number one, uh, if you did miss Pastor David's announcement last week regarding our blessings offering for our missions partners, he mentioned that this past week, this day is the last day to, uh, to contribute, to give an offering to those specifically who lead the ministries and churches with which we partner throughout every month of the year. But we giving this offering specifically to bless those leaders during this Christmas season as they prepare to celebrate with their family and loved ones on the field where they are. Um, you all as a church are so faithful to pray for and support and encourage them. Uh, this is just another way to do that as a church family. Uh, so you'll want to note that. Uh, you can give, as he said, online or in person as the Lord would lead you. And then also, if you haven't grabbed one of those little postcards in the seat back in front of you, go ahead and grab that. Okay, this is free. We give those to you. So in hopes that when perhaps all that information that I know you have retained so well in the past few minutes leaves your mind and thought, then you can recall on this card what exactly we're beginning next Sunday night, a new tradition here at Northside that afternoon, a sweet opportunity for the entire church family to gather together uh, for an evening of carols, contests, and yes, even cookies. Uh, if you are one of those who would like to contribute a dozen of your favorite holiday cookies, we will have an esteemed panel of deacons and their wives here to judge those and, and taste those. You'll want those here no later than 4 p.m. prior to the event so that we can organize those and continue the fun in and throughout this auditorium with uh, activity stations for families to enjoy together. But there will be fun both inside this room and throughout the whole campus for folks of all ages next Sunday night as we ring in the Christmas season together. So we're really excited about that and hope you take not only note for yourself, but also maybe take this card to invite a friend along for the fun that evening. This will be a great way to introduce them to our church family next weekend. And with that, today you'll notice we continue our survey through the minor prophets. As Pastor David has led us, we have uh, now come to the book of Haggai. So I will give you a few moments to search your table of contents and find the book of Haggai. No shame in that game. Uh, the last several weeks we've learned that each of these prophets not only have funny sounding names, but they share a unique purpose in God's redemptive story working through his people. We come to Haggai as you're finding your place there or in the church app with us. Uh, you'll note that Haggai, uh, his name means festive in Hebrew. He was a contemporary of Zechariah, but hardly uh, anything is known about him personally. He did not note in this book his lineage or his hometown. We do understand the context here uh, in 538 BC when these events unfold. It takes place about 50,000 Jews were leaving Babylon. 
and being returned, allowed to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple, to restore the nation. In about 536 BC, two years after the people of God had returned to their homeland, they laid the foundation of the temple. But for some reason, the work was stopped for 16 years for fear of their enemies, for due to apathy and selfishness. Uh, it wasn't until 520 BC under the ministry of Haggai and Zechariah where we see God's people repent and return to the work that God had called his people to do. If you want to do the math, uh, as you look through this book, we'll see that Haggai is comprised of four primary sermons or messages that God gave to Haggai to tell the people. Four messages across a span of only four months. And again, the purpose was to get the workers back on the job, to keep them working until the temple was completed. For those of you who love efficiency, maybe that's part of your job or you just, you really love efficiency, right? You wish pastors would be more efficient in sharing the message, okay? You would want to note, Haggai is your dude. Haggai, his message spans only 38 verses, four months, and the people responded in obedience. I don't, his name means festive in Hebrew, but I like to call Haggai the mic drop minister. I mean, dude said it, said it succinctly, and it got the work done effectively. He was the minister of efficiency. No doubt uh, he was on Judah's bestsellers list in leadership of the times. Uh, people wanted to know how and what he did to be so effective. Um, but as I said, he spoke in four messages, largely to the people, but he also spoke to leadership that was present in the time. We'll come across two other guys, Zerubbabel, one of them. He was the governor and Joshua, the high priest, were also recipients of parts of Haggai's message that God had commanded him to share, um, as he was not pleased with the neglect of the temple and calling and commissioning all people to respond in obedience. A couple other notes, observations that you might see as we survey through this book that uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all emphasize God's name as the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. Specifically, Haggai uses that term or that title of God 14 times across 38 verses. There's a reason, there's a purpose behind that because it was to remind all the hearers of these words that God was in charge of all armies, emphasizing his supremacy over all things on heaven and on earth. This would be key for God's people to remember because of what he was going to ask them to do, that when they would get scared, when they would be tempted to sway off course, to put the tools down, to, to rest instead of restore, they would need to remember that God was sovereign. He was in charge. So really, as we lay out there, if you see in the church app, the notes we've kind of structured it this way throughout these verses that we'll, we'll survey together here. There, we see God's command. We see the people's response. And in, 
in that, we'll understand what was required in order for the people to respond the way that they did. God's command, the people's response, and ultimately what, it was, what, required, what was required of them, and in the same fashion, what's required of ourselves today in order to be faithful to the work that God's called us to do in our time such as this. So I invite you to turn with me. We'll see God's command first in chapter 1, verse 1, where it begins. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priests. The Lord of armies says this, These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Pause. Let's think for just a minute. Back to your, say, childhood when you were living at home with your folks. And pretend for a minute that your parents came to you and said, Hey, son, daughter, I need you to do this thing. Clean your room. Take care of this or that. And in response to that command, not a request, but a command, you responded, hey, mom, dad, I appreciate that. But you know, this isn't really the best time for me right now. And um, I'm kind of into this other thing in the moment. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to pray about it. And I'll get on that when the time's right. Hello? How would that go in your household? Now, I know we all come from a different background, different walks of life, but I'm pretty sure universally speaking, that would not be good, would not go over well. Naturally, the Lord responded in a unique way to that type of arrogance and rebellion. Verse three, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but have never enough to be satisfied. Obviously they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, you drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Stop there just a moment. Here we see the sin of an entire people was addressed in these opening words through the prophet Haggai where they had become apathetic and passive regarding the very things that they should be the most active and passionate about. Now again, remember the context. Understand Israel, they had been in captivity in Babylon for about 70 years, 70 years an entire generation almost of their lives living in captivity. Now they've been able to return home and understandably so they were eager to set up 
their lives, to restore themselves to some sense of normalcy. But in so doing, they neglected the most important aspect of their lives, the temple, which represented the presence of God, the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign in, through, and over every aspect of their lives. And as a result, that arrogance bred rebellion, selfishness, and as we read here and in the verses that follow, lives that were unfulfilled, that were unfruitful. I can't help but think, just consider our context. And we've maybe not been in captivity as they were, but many of you can relate. Over the past few years, there's just been this desire, this yearning to return to some sense of normalcy. We've all said it in some form or in some context, whether it be at a restaurant or at an event or a church function or program, something that we used to know and used to experience but was stripped away from us. And because of the trauma perhaps we experienced, maybe the emotions connected to that, the relationships, the people that we miss, the things that no longer feel the same, look the same. We long for things. And you know what? If we were honest, we would, we would say we kind of insulated ourselves into a way where we try to take hold of things and seize control because the chaos seemed to overwhelm us to a way we just really don't like relying upon God or anyone else anymore. So it's almost safer, certainly easier, it feels like, to take hold of the reins ourselves to do what we want to do. And if God's so big and so strong and so mighty, we'll let him take care of everything else. And yet, while we say that, we neglect the very command of God that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Because that's why he says twice in the first few verses here, this phrase, give careful thought to your ways, or think carefully about your ways. Give careful thought. As, I was, as we continue on, verse 13, it says, the Lord's messenger, Haggai, delivered the Lord's message to the people and reminds them this, I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God. We'll get to verse 14 in just a moment. But as I read these verses, specifically some of those that spoke of uh, how little they harvested and how the wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. It reminded me of Solomon, who ironically was the, the one God used to build the first temple of God. The wisest, the wealthiest man to ever live described his experience and his knowledge at the end of his life where he said, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless you remember this phrase, a chasing after the what? The wind. Chasing after the wind. I thought of that phrase and that, that wisdom that Solomon, who had it all, 
the wealth, the power, the prestige. And at the end of his days, said the pursuit of all those things that people would uphold as the ultimate goal and prize. He said, all of them are meaningless as a chasing after the wind. I think Haggai was probably familiar with those words as God inspired him to share about this pursuit of their lives, even as they've come to return to their homeland, when everything's supposed to be made new and fixed and perfect and right, yet they ate, but they didn't ever have enough. They drank, but they were never happy. They put on clothes, but they were never warm. The money they earned just seemed to slip through their pockets. Does that not describe our existence and our experience? Here in the West, even today, where, again, if we were honest, we might pursue all these other things just because we feel like, you know what, those things will bring us the comfort, the control, the security, the fulfillment that we long deeply inside. And at the end of our days, we would, we would understand and, and admit it's not enough. That's why verse 14 is so special. Because as God spoke through Haggai, verse 14 says, The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, Joshua, the high priest. Again, it starts with leadership. It starts with those who seek God, that know God. But then it didn't stop there. It went to all the remnant of the people, and they began the work on the house of the order, Lord of armies, their God. So the command from God was to rebuild the temple. And you know what the people did? They responded by getting to work. They responded in obedience. We understand that that obedience required two things. That work would require two things. And take note of this, because this is what's required of us today. That work requires honesty, about the futility of the things, so much of what we spend, our, the energy of our labor, our hands doing, and it takes strength to say, I won't quit the work. I'll remain steadfast. Because honesty, honestly, they would admit that their neglect of the spiritual led to futility in the material. For some of us, it's so much easier, it's certainly more tempting to pursue those things that we can touch, that we can see, that we can feel, that we can experience on this side of heaven just in, so that we can get back to something that we long for. And in our pursuit of that, please don't miss this, you will soon realize that that is a futile pursuit unless we seek God first, as God was calling them to return. This second message from Haggai that begins in chapter 2, we see it begins during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the just three weeks after the work began. And there the Lord encourages the remnant with promises of the future. He says, speak to the people, verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? 
How does it look to you now? He's like, hey, y'all remember? Y'all remember what this looked like? This pile of dust and debris? Y'all remember what it looked like? Those of you who were there, can you remember? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. I love how he constantly reminds them of who he is so that they would never believe for a moment that it's up to them. Hear me, they're responsible, but they're not the ruler. The power comes from the Lord of hosts because he says, verse five, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide Peace in this place. My question before we move on. So many of us will ask. We know the command, but it's somewhere inside. We're asking ourselves the question, or of the Lord, is it really worth it? Is what you're asking me to do really worth everything you're asking me, asking of me? Is it really worth it all? Because some people will dwell on what once was and miss out on what soon will be. Hear me, folks. Don't sleep on me. Don't be tripping on tryptophan. Some of us are so caught up on what once was. We're missing out on the work that God's calling us to now. And we'll miss the experience of the glory that is to come of what will be. First two messages deal with the rebuilding of the temple. And the second two messages moves from really the work of their hands to addressing the condition of their heart. And says, reformation of your life is what's commanded from God. And again, the people respond with worship. They they respond in genuine worship. In verse 11 we pick up as Haggai specifically addresses the priests here, a parable of sorts unfolds. This is what the Lord of Army says, ask the priests for ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled By contact with the corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? The priest answered, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration and so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. 
this parable that the Lord shares here reminds them that unlike holiness, which is a personal matter and cannot be transferred from one person to another, defilement, uncleanliness, unholiness can be transmitted by touch, by life, by character. So is the way in which God's people had become altogether, altogether, together corrupted by their selfishness. Whereas Israel had been set apart for a purpose by the Lord, they became defiled by sin, by unbelief, so that even their worship, even in their desire to worship, it was considered unacceptable to God. But, which as we sang already, in repentance, God demonstrated his grace. God would restore them. In the verses that follow, he, he asks questions about what state were you in? Remember where you once were and who called you out and who made a way for you. He would remind them that their conduct would represent the sincerity of their faith. My friends, I ask you this question or remind you of this statement rather. Of our lives today, those of us who live on this side of the cross, of the cross, having been gifted the Holy Spirit of God as a part of the redemption that God has done in each and every one of us, those who follow Christ. Remember that faith that is genuine bears the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday lives. Faith that doesn't transform your life is merely surface and superficial. It functions more like a decoration you set out to look nice than a genuine demonstration of the Spirit of God who daily transform how you live. Some of us are content to look like a bowl of fake fruit whenever people come out and around to see us rather than living lives of substance, of sincere faith that transform the way that I live and speak and treat and love other people. Holiness is what's required to worship with a sincere faith, faith, and then secondly, what also is required is trust. Haggai ends by speaking directly to Zerubbabel, the governor. He says, the word of the Lord, verse 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Why do we end here? Well, it's literally the last verses of the book, but why do we highlight these verses specifically? The Lord promises in these verses to the leadership, to the leader, Zerubbabel, 
that he himself will destroy the kingdoms of this world and establish a new kingdom ruled by a Davidic descendant, the promised Messiah. And here he promises that that Messiah will also be a descendant of Zerubbabel, as represented by this signet ring, which is appropriate and significant as a messianic metaphor because of what it symbolizes, one's authority used to sign official documents. God used this imagery to indicate that Zerubbabel was in his hand, that he was highly valued, and that he represented God's authority in his leadership of the people, even for the trying times that would still yet come. Reminded him that I'm with you. My hand is upon you. If you trust me and remain faithful, I will prove myself faithful. But some of us today, we hear that command, that invitation to experience the provision of God. And we simply respond by saying, you know what? That sounds dangerous. That sounds like I have to rely upon someone other than myself. And that means I could be disappointed. It could lead to further hurt. It could lead to plans that are not like the ones that I have drawn up for myself, for my people, for my kids, for my family. And here we see this intimate conversation where Zerubbabel, the governor, is invited by God to trust him. Worship is more than a song. It's more than a service. It's more than a few minutes every day of the week. It's a disposition. It's a heart that says, I trust you, God, because this work can only be sustained by the work and the power of God active in my life. So my question here for you is, do you truly trust God to provide? If you say, I know it's worth it all, it's worth it. Will you really trust God to provide for your very needs each and every day, each and every season, every decade of your life? As I close, I came across one commentator that used the word imagery of inertia to describe the posture and position of Israel, rebellious Israel. He said the law of inertia was present in Israel's disobedience. For those educators in the room who teach physics and science in their classes, you'll remember, I would need to be reminded myself, of inertia being that tendency of an object to resist change in its motion. Whether an object is moving or at rest, every object resists, every object or person resists any change to its motion. Therefore, if you want to overcome inertia, don't miss this, you have to apply a force. I thought, oof, that'll preach. The Lord roused the spirit in the spirit of Black Friday and as a dad shopping for toys, I thought of Hot Wheels when it comes to the law of inertia. And really, for those of you 
who had maybe Hot Wheels, like the one on the screen or that I hold in my hand here. By the way, now they, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. They can fill up your house with Hot Wheels. It's pretty fun. There's two really main points of a Hot Wheels track that I want to highlight this morning before I wrap up. One is the launch point where you put the car at the start. And that car, which we know doesn't have a motor, doesn't have a tiny creature inside that's about to start it and go, that car will stay there until it is launched by the mechanism that sends it flying to its next point of destination. So launch point, that's important. But then there's another part, and it's the one that really makes the Hot Wheels track so fun. Um, it's the one that calls the, re the direction point, the redirection point, the launch point and the redirection point. Some of them, you have that cross space and then you can switch the tracks, kind of like a railroad track. The only part that I could find here, just cars coming from this direction. And were it not for this bend here, for this part, this redirection point of the track, this car would continue on its same course and not go another direction. Man, I thought of that. Some of you may be thinking, man, that's my life. Were it not for grace, were it not for God intervening, transforming my life, giving me life, resurrecting me from death to new life and setting my path on a new course, I would be adrift. I would be aimless. So my question for you as I close, just think for a moment. Are you someone who feels stuck where you are right now? Where you feel unfulfilled? Where all your pursuits in this world are vanity, lead to emptiness, loneliness, fruitlessness? Then my friend, turn and trust Jesus. Let him set you on a new path. Let him launch you into life and life living in abundance, living with purpose. Place your faith in Jesus. That is an invitation that remains open for you today, exactly where you are. No matter what baggage you come in, no matter what course you've been on, put your life in God's hands and he'll do something greater than you could ever experience. How about those of you who feel discouraged, who feel frustrated, who feel adrift and aimless? Perhaps you, like the Israelites, have sought to pursue so many other things, your own agenda. Take hold and control everything that you can in the past couple years. And in so doing, you're exhausted. You feel lonely. You feel helpless. You lack direction, you lack hope. Turn. Pursue God's call and path and command for your life and watch the new track that God will put you on 
that leads to greater things yet to come of what will be. And my friends, I promise you this, what will be is so far greater than anything that ever once was. You hear me? What will be, what has yet to come for those who know Jesus, who worship Jesus, who long to see Jesus and one day will see Jesus. What will be is greater than anything that ever once was, than anything that you can try to fathom or grasp on this side of heaven. So while we remain, while you remain, will you choose to pursue Jesus regardless of what it costs? That is the only way to find purpose and hope for every day that we have on this earth. What will you choose today? Not what your mama chose, not what your daddy chose for you, not what other people think you should do. What will you do with what God is asking you to do today? You are the only one that can answer that question. What will your response be to him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that through every generation, through every circumstance, you prove yourself faithful. God, even in our rebellion, in our selfishness, Lord, you still look down upon us and love us. Lord, we're not like some old toys that you toss once we get raggedy. But God, you look down upon us because of the power of the cross and the grace available through your son, you make available to us renewal and restoration. So Father, I pray for those today who are hurting, those who are wondering. God, I pray that you would call them to yourself. They would not resist your, your call upon their life, that they would run to you. God, specifically, I pray for those today who have tried to do it their own way every day of their life. And today they would humbly admit, God, I need you. I surrender myself to you. I stop trying on my own and I choose to trust the work of the cross by faith that what Jesus paid for on the cross for me was for my good and forever so that my sins are no longer mine to bear anymore. I place my faith, my trust, my pursuits, everything into your hands. God, I do pray that today in the days that follow, we would see lives transformed. As we sang today, that we would see bones become gardens because of the resurrection power at work in this community and in this place. Before we finish here, I would simply remind you, if you have not done business with God, if you have not prayed that prayer, if you long to return to what God's called you to, that you don't need to leave this place before you get that right. And there will be people here all across the front, deacons, their wives, staff available, 
throughout this whole morning because nothing matters more than that. God, these are your people. This is your place. May you have, may you have your way in each of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray with one voice we say, amen. Let's stand and sing.